0: Riveting title, now that I look back at it, I liked it at the time. Actually, uh, the title I almost went with is the one in my heart still, Why VBS is Awesome. Um, For the last three months on Sunday evenings, uh, Jeremy and I have been pursuing this question, uh, well, for two months and then this month, we've been pursuing this question that has to do uh how do we get the faith to pass on to the next generation. And this month, that's very appropriate. If you were here this morning, you saw Graduation Sunday. You saw all of our young people going through the different things that they've learned, giving a small demonstration of what they've been taught in Sunday school. And this month ends... With Vacation Bible School, which I look forward to every year. I'm really sad if I'm out of town and have to miss it. I enjoy Vacation Bible School, uh, very, very much. And, and the reason I do, it's a lot of work, uh, it is very frustrating, uh, it is challenging, but When it all comes together, you get to stand in front. Usually I get to standing in one of these rooms back here and tell one of the Bible stories. You get to stand in front of several groups, age groups of children, as they come through. And you get to talk to them to help them understand something about God and how God works in their lives. And that is fantastic. Vacation Bible School is awesome. When I participate in Vacation Bible School now, it makes me think of all the Vacation Bible Schools where people gutted it out for me. I remember a lady who used a string and a series of magnets to actually get Jesus to levitate into the cloud. He went really fast there at the end. It was he really zipped up and 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 she used uh, i guess food coloring or kool-aid or something to pour water into a jar and out came wine well it was it was wine colored anyway what came out she she turned water into wine these are things that i still remember this didn't even happen over at college church this happened at 36th and Prospect. I remember the room I was sitting in when I saw the miracle of water being turned into wine. I remember one of the teachers actually giving us a taste of manna. This this was manna. It was actually vanilla wafers with all the brown scraped off. And, and and we all said what they said, what is this? Uh which is where manna gets its name. Uh Okay, I'm old. I've been to school a lot, I've read a lot of books, and this stuff is still sticking with me. VBS is awesome. It is one of the many, many things we do to make sure we have an intergenerational, a multi-generational church. And so this is not mainly going to be a pep talk about why you should participate in Vacation Bible School, but this part is kind of that pep talk. You should totally participate in Vacation Bible School. Uh, a lot of you already do. And if you haven't ever done that before, find some, at least one job to do this year to participate. It is totally worth it. And it is part of how we do this thing that we've been talking about for the last uh, couple of months and for this month, which is passing the faith down through the generations. Okay, how do we get that kind of a church, a church that really does survive uh, down through the generations? I uh, I don't want to be part of a movement that dies when I die. And you don't... it's really not worth your time to to be part of something... And that the best you can say of it is, it lasted about as long as that person lasted. You want to be part of something bigger than yourself. The great thing that God has done is created the church that's been going since Jesus resurrected and since the day of Pentecost, and will be going until Jesus comes back. You and I die off, but the church stays. There are projects that I think, as I study church history, as I look at how things have progressed down through the history of Christianity and things have changed and so forth, there are projects that no Christian at any time lived long enough to see from start to finish, but that the the people of God, being led by the Spirit of God, following the Word of God, helped to bring to fruition multiple generations. And so I am excited to be a part of Christianity that can pass faith down through the generations. And I want to make sure that I do my part to make sure that happens. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the passage that Ethan read to us. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look together uh, down there at some of those verses where Paul, I think, talks about this issue uh, in, coming from a a unique direction. He's actually coming at it from the ministry direction this time. But this is the issue he's talking about. Uh, We're going to come back up and pick up uh, verse 6 and everything, but look down at verse 10 for just a minute. Look down at verse uh, verse 10. By the grace God has given me I lay a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the ones already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. But yet will be saved, even though uh, only as one escaping through the flames. This is an interesting passage. As I said, Paul is coming at this issue of... Uh, multi-generational Christianity. He's coming at it from the point of view of ministers because the church at Corinth was fighting over who had the best, you know, uh, minister who had converted them. Was Paul better than Apollos? Was Cephas better than either of those, and so forth? And they were arguing over those issues. So that's the direction he's coming from. But look at what he says about that. Paul actually gives you a two-part test for what he thinks evangelism is like passing on the faith is like what makes for quality evangelism quality passing on of the faith he gives you a two part test right he says the foundation's already laid anybody who tries to build on anything besides jesus christ is just going to make a mess we've already laid that foundation but now generation after generation you can build one of two ways stone uh uh gold silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. The double test for church growth, the double test for passing on the faith through the generations, is quality and durability. How long will the faith that you pass on last? And what quality... Is that faith that you pass on? Those are his two uh, tests for what is valuable in church growth. Paul's not any more interested than I am in belonging to a movement that dies when he dies. Paul is enormously gifted. He's genius level IQ, I'm sure, if we could test it. Uh, he had massive reams of material from the Old Testament at his fingertips. He didn't need to have the book in front of him to be able to quote Scripture at the drop of a hat and to analyze Scripture on the fly when he's writing his letters. You can see his mind just going buzzing back and forth. He's an amazingly talented individual. and And people like that can build cults of personality. Paul could build a cult of personality. And Apollos was similarly gifted, and he could build a cult of personality. And Paul is saying, why bother? You weren't baptized in the name of Paul. Apollos didn't die on the cross for you. If you connect yourself only to some human project that dies when the human beings die, your life is wasted. You want to be connected to Jesus Christ. You want durability. So that even when you're gone, the next generation that's connected to Christ will be there to carry on the work that you started. And to pass it on to the next generation, the next however long it takes for God to do the things that he wants to do. Durability is huge. He says, everybody's work is going to be tested with fire. And it's going to matter whether your work survives. So Paul says, I'm not interested in creating a cult of personality around Paul. I don't like it that some of you think I'm the better preacher than Apollos, because I think that automatically makes you focus in the wrong direction. I want you focused on Christ. Because that's what the long-term faith is all about. He also focuses on quality as well. Gold, silver, precious stones versus uh, wood, hay, or stubble. How good is the faith that you're passing on? What level of quality is it? And that matters a great deal. Let's bring that down to Wilshire. The children at Wilshire that we are interested in passing the faith on. to. Can we get them to be Christians, Christian teachers, Christian servants after all of us are gone? And what quality of faith are we passing on to them? It's not just a job of parents. It's certainly, it's definitely not just the job of the youth ministers or the Bible class teachers. All of us as a church have to pass on the faith to the next generation. What quality of faith are we going to be able to pass on? Well, there are a couple of things That matter as we begin to think like this. If we adopt Paul's attitude, I want durability and I want high quality faith, there are certain methods we're not going to be very interested in. There are other methods that we know we're going to naturally gravitate toward. You and I, even with our own children, even with the children of this congregation, are always soul winners. You and I don't have the ability. We have some authority in the lives of those that are younger than us. We don't have the ability to mandate faith. We are soul winners. And I'm going to talk more about that in the next section when we go up and look at verses 6 and following. We are trying to bring someone in connection with God. So if I... I'm overly coercive, for instance, about faith. I'm unlikely to produce solid faith in that person, durable faith in that person. If if I am, um, I mean, I think we should be firm about what we believe. That's part of testifying truthfully to what we think is true about Jesus Christ. But if the only thing I manage to get out of the next generation is external compliance, as long as I'm around, I haven't done a very good job of passing on the faith. I've built much more with straw than with gold. And so I am in the business of making what it is I believe as shiny and as attractive as I can. we listen to what Paul's saying, he says, I want everybody who's in this, who has this task of soul winning, of passing on the faith, I want everybody to be building with gold and silver and precious stones, be building quality and be building durability. We have a huge advantage in this task of passing on faith to the next generation, at least to the children that are here available to us. We have an enormous advantage, and we need to take all advantage of that. They are already plugged into our community to some extent. They have a chance to see us uh, in action, in progress. Each one of us, obviously, good words need to come out of our mouths. That's crucial. But every one of us needs to be walking with a healthy faith ourselves. What's the problem if I have to tell the children of the congregation, well, do as we say, not as we do? In our private lives, in our entertainment, in everything else, do as I say, not as I do. I'm unlikely to create quality faith. I may have enough authority to create compliance, As long as I'm there to exercise discipline. But I'm not likely to create actual faith or to help create actual faith that lasts after people are out from under the influence of this congregation, the influence of their parents, the influence of all of us. I need a healthy faith. It is enormously helpful If you're trying to pass on the faith to children in particular, it's enormously helpful. You should take advantage of this generation, this multi generational community that we have right here. I think it is wonderful that Wilshire is, uh, for the size congregation it is, it's enormously varied on a ton of different vectors. We've talked about this before. Obviously, we have uh, more racial diversity than is common for uh, most churches in this part of the country. We have more economic diversity, too, and more educational diversity, probably, and and uh, all kinds of diversity. I love the fact that Wilshire has such a wide age diversity as well. It was so encouraging to me. Yodi turned to me at one point during Promotion Sunday this morning and said, that is a huge crop of children. And that's true. That's a glorious thing. I am, you know, I'm I'm invited to speak at a lot of churches, and there are churches I go to that have many, many people who know the Bible very, very well. The the level of questions I get are very high level, because everybody at that church is 50 years old or older. Well, that's okay. Okay. Those are people who have their faith and they're very strong in it. But it is not a congregation that's going to be here in 20 years. The writing's already on the wall for them. I'm so happy that we have a multi-generational congregation to support us in this task. The fact that our children in this congregation can see the example of very old people who've labored for a long time in God's kingdom. And brand new Christians as well who are just getting their feet under them. People who have really good habits and people who don't always have the best habits but are trying to follow God's will. The fact that our children get to see those things is part of what makes faith actually real. Perfection. In in this job of soul winning, perfection is not the key. Being a perfect person being a flawless, or at least appearing to be a flawless Christian, that's not the key. What matters is, how connected do you are you to the foundation Jesus Christ? A person who messes up and fesses up, and goes back and starts over again, is just as important for the overall development of faith, as someone who, you know, I could name a few names, people who have never sinned, You know, for the past 40 years, they've forgotten even what sin tastes like, I think. I'm sure if I talked to them, they would tell me differently. But but there are people that I view like that in this congregation. It's good to have that diversity. It's good to have that variety. That's a huge advantage. And I'm glad that you're here participating with that. Okay, so we are working for durability and we're working for high-quality faith. We're also working under God. Go back up to those first the verses we skipped. Look at verse 6 and following. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 9. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is making it grow. So neither the one who plants it nor the one who waters it is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and, and they'll be rewarded according to their own labor for we're co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then he switches metaphors and starts talking about us in terms of being a building and as you read down through the rest of chapter 3, it turns out it's a very specific building. It's the temple of God that's being built in this way. What I like about that is Paul says, I did this job of coming and evangelizing in Corinth, that he was the first sort of commando missionary to come into that completely pagan city and start talking about Jesus Christ. And after he had labored there for about a year and a half, he left, and Apollos came, and helped the church grow, and helped the Christianity spread. These are good things. Paul says, I planted the seed. Apollos has watered the seed. But neither it's not our church. It's not Paul's church and it's not Apollos' church. Whose church is it? It's always been God's church. Okay, this is, an, this is a crucial point for all of us to remember as we think about making sure our faith is a multi-generational faith. Faith is between God and someone, not between you and someone. You may have a child, you may have a husband, you may have a wife, whoever it is that you're trying to help faith grow in their life. This is first and foremost always between God and that person. Not between you and that person. Why is that such an important thing for Paul to stress here? He says, I am the workman. I I had a job to do, but it was always God who gave the increase. It was always God who let the plants grow. It's always been God's field. It's always been God's Why is that so important? Well, if I think it's about me, my job to make sure my children believe, for instance. Or my job to make sure my wife or my husband is converted. Or my job to, to get my extended family into the Or whoever it is that I'm trying to evangelize. If I think it's me, then how am I going to react when they are negative about the faith? Or when they reject the faith? Who are they rejecting? Right? Right? How do you react when people reject you? I know how I react when people reject me. Not well. But it's not about me. Paul tries to make this clear. We are handmaidens to faith. We can help faith come to fruition. We can help faith be born. But faith actually happens between a person and God. It's not me that they're rejecting. If they reject faith, it's God. It's not me that they're accepting. If they accept faith, it's God. I don't convert anybody. I've gotten credit for converting people. People come up and pat me on the back. To my shame, I've often taken credit. And I shouldn't. Because who converts? Always God. Always God. It's always been God. And so, that takes, in a sense, it takes the sting and the worry out of this task of passing on the faith. Jeremy has preached pretty passionately about the Proverbs passage that says, you know, train up a child in the way she should go or he should go. and When he's old, he will not depart from it. And in general, that's certainly what we should all do. And in general, that is what happens. But that is not... That's part of Proverbs. That is not a guarantee. That is a... Like all the Proverbs, it is a general piece of wisdom. It has lots of exceptions. And there are people in this church who I think unduly worry, and people in other churches where I've ministered, who unduly worry that if I didn't manage to convert all my children... It's all because of something I did wrong. That can't be true. Faith is always between a person and God. You don't have as much power as you think you do in this transaction. Um, That helps us not to worry as much. That helps us to take ourselves less seriously in the equation, not to get offended, not to have to get angry. That allows us to be less desperate and that allows us to share our own joy in the faith and to continue to say a good word for the faith and to know even up until the 11th hour it's still possible that God might reach somebody who has seemed very resistant to the faith up to now. And I think that is crucial for us to know. I think it is crucial for us to know. Faith is between God and someone, not between Me and someone. We have just a little bit more time. I don't have a watch, so I actually don't know how much more time. And I'm having trouble calling up how much more time. So I'm going to say one more thing, one more point. A short one. In this new environment, I'm talking to older Christians mostly, more mature Christians now. In this new environment, I think all of us have to be ready for some different kinds of challenges as we step up to this task of passing on the faith to the next generation. When I was... Receiving the blessings of the people that shared the faith with me. The big questions often had to do with what was the proper mode of baptism. Uh, Sadly, in some cases, could you have asphalt on the parking lot or did it need to always be grass? No kidding. That didn't happen in a church where I was, but I heard about that controversy. In this generation especially because of mass media, especially because of the internet, so that people who have no credentials at all can get a mass market if what they say is provocative enough. Uh, There are all kinds of challenges to Christianity now available that our kids are being exposed to without us knowing about it frequently. And you and I, if we're Tuned in the old way of doing evangelism, we may be oblivious to these new challenges and assaults on Christian faith and believing. And I think every one of us needs to get a little better at being able to respond to this new environment. So I'm going to say just a little bit about that, and later on in this Sunday night series we're going to talk more about that. Uh there are all kinds of challenges to the very fundamentals of Christianity. There are all kinds of new ways to reject Christianity. When I hear that coming out of the mouth of someone younger that I love, when I hear them parroting back some of the stuff, the very skeptical stuff that's on the internet or in the mouth of the new, you know, popular atheists, when I hear that, that's a challenge to what I believe and am very firm in. And maybe I haven't you know, I've just taken for granted my whole life. And an interest I find an interesting thing happening to me, and so you tell me if this happens to you. When those things that I've just sort of taken for granted my whole life, and all the religious debates I had, everybody kind of took that for granted, the Bible's God's word, and and we're just trying to figure out what it says. When people are rejecting that, they have a bunch of arguments as to why they do, or rejecting the existence of God. Have a bunch of arguments as to why they do. That's not just asking me a factual question. That's again, that's challenging who I am. And my natural first response, I will tell you, and I'm a I'm a pretty even keeled guy, but my natural first response is anger when that happens. I get super defensive, the the mental guns come out, start, you know. The laser sights start looking for who I can target. The little red dots start focusing in. How can I blow this argument up? Which means I've stopped listening. Anger goes along with being unable to hear. I don't know why that is, but it's true in every context, and it's true in this context. And so, not all of us can study deeply in the new atheism and in the new challenges to faith. But every one of us can get better at some fundamental listening techniques and anger management techniques. I want to share a deep, dark secret of the other side with you. The side of anti-Christianity or anti-faith has one main message that's kind of underlying all the little attacks on Christianity. And the main message is this. Christians are closed-minded. Christians believe what they believe. They just can't listen to anybody else. They can't hear any new information. They can't process any new ideas. That's the underlying message. So if, when somebody challenges my challenges my belief in Scripture, challenges my belief in God, my first response is, the guns come out and they start blazing away. I get angry. What have I done for that underlying message? What message have I sent back? Uh, yeah. This guy, he's close-minded. Another example of a Christian that can't handle thinking outside their box. And so... James, I've quoted James to you so many times, let everybody be slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to listen. We all need to learn to do that better. James is exactly right in this context and a lot of others. And so, as we are going about our business, if we get these challenging questions, we may not have a ready answer, but we need to stop the first impulse that comes out of our mouth, which is maybe to pop back, and instead see if we can ask a follow-up question to what's just been said. If every Christian learned just to do that, well, that's interesting. I I haven't talked to many people who feel that way. Uh, uh, Tell me about that. You could just do that. You're not saying... I agree. I'm an atheist now. You're not, you know, throwing your faith under the bus. You're just saying, "Well, tell me a little bit about it. how'd you come to that opinion? Where'd you first hear that?" That's your what process did you go through to think? And I'm not saying do this as a secret way to, you know, build up your arsenal. It needs to be sincere. That your actual goal is first to understand what someone is saying, especially a young person who's somewhat timid to be talking to somebody with your authority, even if they don't look like they are, they are. If you are sincerely trying to figure out what they're saying, so that you're clear that you understand it, before you, you know, immediately bring out the big guns to obliterate whatever argument they have. If you are working to understand them, that is huge in this new environment. And I I would like all of us, at least in this room, to get better at doing that one thing. When I hear a challenge to faith, stop for a second and think of some follow-up questions I can ask to actually improve my understanding of what this challenge is. Just that by itself undermines this story about Christians always being closed-minded, always having to think inside one little box, Never being open to new information. Just asking those questions to actually seek to understand what the other person is saying. There's some more about that that Jeremy and I want to talk about and some techniques that we eventually want to practice with this group. But for now, that's enough, I think. I want to be a part of a church that lasts long after I'm gone. When I die, I don't want to think, well, everything i built is crumbling now with me. Uh, I wouldn't get any satisfaction out of that at all. I want the, to be confident that as I'm fading away, the church is continuing on. And the only way to do that is to pass the faith on to the next generation. I hope all of us can be a part of that grand project of God. Well, this hasn't been particularly evangelistic. But every time we meet, we like to ask this question. Is there something that you need to do to make yourself right with God? Or do you need to be baptized tonight? I think everybody in this room is uh, uh, in one place or another on that question. But if you need to be, then this is a great opportunity to do it and make that choice. If you need prayers or something else the church can do for you, then, then make that choice. And if you need to do that publicly, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we're...